Hello there and welcome to episode 53 of the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. This week I'm really excited to bring you Oscar Trimboli. Oscar is on a personal mission to help 100 million people listen more deeply and I was really grateful to be introduced to him by the lovely Kevin Monroe over in the US. Such a deep, deep conversation which included a live coaching session for me which you'll hear and to be honest with you, it's something that I'm still reeling from um, seven to 10 days after the conversation um, in a good way, but uh, in quite a deep reflective way. Uh, a couple of the introductory points I'd like to, to share with you is that Oscar speaks about if the 20th century is about teaching people how to speak, I think the productivity hack of the 21st century is teaching people how to listen. And also something I found really, really powerful is where he spoke about uh, one of the stories he told about an organisation that the senior leader turned around and said, I hope you forgive me, I need your help. Uh, this was in relation to a, uh, a drug product that had been stuck in the pipes um, for a number of months and just really points directly towards uh, the importance of vulnerability, stating that I don't know or I need your help. So there's a couple of uh, little insights for you as to where this conversation goes. I'll be quiet now. really hope that you enjoy it. Um, do follow Oscar. would appreciate any feedback that you may have. And uh, looking forward to uh, find, finding out how this resonates with you. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And today I've got somebody that's on a very similar quest. In fact, a quest to help 100 million people listen more deeply. So welcome to the podcast, Oscar Trimboli. G'day, Gary. So how are you today? I'm looking forward to listening to you as well as me today. Lovely. Well, look, as we get going, I think you know, it's a wonderful purpose that you have there, Oscar. I'd really like to have you share with my listeners. Where did that come from? Where did that purpose evolve within you? Is it, was listening always been something you've been deeply passionate about? I uh, wish it was a lightning bolt moment where I got struck by lightning and it was one conversation that kind of spun my world upside down. There was probably a range of things and um, whether it was playing uh, cards at school with 23 different nationalities because I grew up in a school with lots of migrants where English wasn't the first language, although it was for me. Uh, I could read body language really well. I wasn't very good at cards because I have this thing called dyscalculus, which means I transpose numbers. Uh, I'm not really don't have a great relationship with numbers. Um, probably have a better relationship with people than I do with numbers. And uh, everybody wanted me on their team because I could read the body language of the other person. So listening to the language and 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 what the body was saying rather than just counting cards and things like that. And then at work. It was a really tense meeting about 10 years ago where my vice president said to me at the end of a really tense meeting between our Asia Pacific regional team and our global team at Microsoft where I was participating, Tracy pointed out to me in the debrief after the meeting, you know, the way you were able to get the room to listen to itself around the 20 minute mark completely changed the tone of the meeting. If you could code that, you could change the world. And when you say code that and Microsoft it literally means write software. And I kind of blew it off because I was too busy um, trying to figure out how to get more money to launch a product in Australia for Microsoft as a marketing director. And then about four months later, an, a new manager came in and Tony said to me after a meeting, which was also a tense meeting, he said, you've been told you're a good listener, but you actually can see people for who they really are and who they want to be. You could change the world if you could teach everyone to listen the way you did. And these kind of milestones along the way, looking back, make lots and lots of sense. And uh, it wasn't till I started a journey around trying to figure out what is this code around listening? Can it change the world? And I realized the 20th century, a lot of money had been spent on teaching people how to speak, mm. public speaking and communicate effectively, communicate with influence. 
So I did some very simple Google analytics that told you what people are searching for when it comes to speaker training and what people are searching for when it comes to listening training. No matter where you go around the English speaking world, the ratio is pretty much the same. It's about 50 to one people who are looking for listening training versus looking for speaking training. So there's 50 times more people looking for speaking training than listening training. So I just thought if the 20th century is about teaching people how to speak, I think the productivity hack of the 21st century is teaching people how to listen because despite all the broadcast technologies we've got with Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and Snapchat hasn't made us more effective communicators because it's only taught us the speak or the broadcast part of communication. And the flip side is only 2% of the earth has ever been taught how to listen. So I figure there's lots of upside. That's just, that's an incredible statistic, Oscar. That is, that's a really, that's completely blown me away. You know, I knew, I, you know, I've got a very personal passion, as you know, around listening personally, and I'm on an early stage of that, but 50 to one, that's incredible. 50 to one ratio on the search. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as, Humans, we spend 55% of our day listening. The more senior you are in an organization or a system, the more of your day you're going to spend listening. So if you're a, a politician or a senior executive in a corporation or a very high level uh, part of the um, government, you're going to be spending up to 83% of your day listening. So nobody can remember their listening teacher. Everybody can remember their math teacher or their English teacher. And the reason they can remember them is because they actually listen to you, but none of us have been taught how to listen. So we, you know, there's, there's a long way to go to a hundred million, Gary, trust me. We need help. We need, we need help like people like you to make it happen. I'm not going to do this by myself. Oh, I, I love that. Um, and I think technology, you know, we had a chat before we started, is, is a fantastic enabler of that. How do, you, how do you feel technology is going to aid your mission to reach those 100 um, million people? And with it, as you say, technology can be, it's an amplifier for me, but also it can be a barrier if we rely too much on it for sound bites rather than deep listening, for example. Yeah, and, you know, for me, I'm lucky I spent 30 years of my life just in the technology world. So I know completely what it's capable of doing and why sometimes I giggle to myself going 100 million is probably a small goal to have because if you imagine you had a, a listening coach on your mobile phone, this is completely possible with the technology today. It's not cost effective, but it's completely possible. If I said, hey, Siri, listen to my conversation with Gary and then 30 minutes after we're finished, can you debrief me on how I went listening? And then 30 minutes later, Siri will call me and say, hey, Oscar, it's still a good time for your deep listening debrief. And I'll go, go ahead, Siri. And Siri will say, well, you interrupted Gary at least three times. Let me replay that. So they'll replay the five to 10 seconds where that interruption happened. So notice the pause and rather than jumping in, just count one, two, three, four and then five when you get to the stage where you want to interrupt the next time. By the way, you asked a lot of why questions rather than asking how and what questions. And if you do that, the person speaking feels judged. So try and dial back the why questions at the beginning of the conversation. Um, next time, um, just pause a little bit more. And I notice your breathing increased during the conversation. If you're breathing deeply, your breathing should be a lot more spaced out. Any other questions for me, Oscar? And then Siri would hang up and you'd take that on to the next meeting and go from there. So the technology exists to do that today, Gary. It's uh, just really expensive to do, but that's the, one of the ways I'll use technology in the future to make this possible. Wow, very, very, very powerful. I've got loads of questions on that tech side, but we'll, we'll leave that for the side for now. Let's, <laughs> that's wonderful. My, my, my mind is racing on that already. Um, to come back to the human part for now, um, what I'd really enjoy with your work, Oscar, is you've developed this five levels of listening. And I'd really like to explore that a little bit with you, if I may. Um, because 
what I really like is that you start with listening to self. And I think that's not somewhere where, as you say, we've been educated or maybe we've even taken the time in the last generation. I certainly didn't until recently to really give ourselves permission to listen to ourselves or to stop or to get present. How important is that presencing part for you as part of the listening journey that we're all on? In the 80s and 90s, Gary, there was an amazing movement called the active listening movement that taught everybody around listening to focus on the speaker. And that's useful, it's handy. But if your brain isn't available to actually listen, your foundations aren't in place. So if I talk about level one, listening to yourself, level two is listening to the content, level three is listening for the context, level four, listening for what's unsaid, and then level five, listening for meaning. But let's dial it all the way back to listening to yourself at level one. Imagine your brain is either like a computer with a hard disk that's pretty full, or imagine you've got earphones playing when you're going to a concert, or imagine a really messy desk, or imagine a really messy kitchen where you've got pots and pans everywhere. It's impossible to listen to somebody else if you've got a whole dialogue going on in your head about the next conversation you want to have, the last conversation you want to have. For people listening right now, Gary, it's happening for them. They're either driving, they're commuting, they might be on a train, uh, they might be walking on a treadmill. But right now they've got lots of dialogue going on in their head. If there's one thing everyone can take out of today is this, the 125-400 rule. I'm speaking at about 125 words a minute, but you're listening to 400 words a minute. So your brain is capable of listening to 400. So what happens with those other 300 words? You're completely distracted. So that's why it's critical to put some body armor around you when you come to listening to somebody else and be completely present in the moment and no other conversations going on in your head. As one of my clients said to me once, yeah, I've got to get the bludgeoning out of my head, Oscar. I've got to get the spaghetti out of my head so I can listen to the other person in the room. And for a lot of us, three simple tips, Gary. Number one, get rid of all the electronic devices in front of you. Cell phones, laptops, iPads, whatever it is, those devices will distract you. Number two, always have a glass of water. So for every meeting you attend, have a glass of water. Make sure that the person you're speaking to has a glass of water because a hydrated brain is a listening brain. The brain consumes 26% of the blood sugars in the body, but it's only 5% of the body mass. So a lot of people say, when I listen deeply, my head hurts, and it literally will if it's not hydrated. So drink water, a glass of water for every meeting. And if you drink coffee, you're going to have to have an extra glass of water. I don't mind you drink coffee, but it's going to dehydrate you. And then the final thing is connect with your breathing. The deeper you breathe, the deeper you listen. And there was some lovely research conducted in Canada in 1993. 410 people were hooked up to electronic uh, equipment to measure their brain patterns as well as their heart rate and their breathing, their oxygen level. And two things became evident in the research. The most productive conversations came when breathing was synchronized between the speaker and the listener and that the breathing was more deeper, more oxygen was getting into both the speaker and the listener's um, part. And the interesting thing I'd love for you to think about, Gary, and for those who are listening, do you notice how well, how deeply a speaker is breathing when you're listening to them? Because if you can, you start to pick up on so many more amazing insights into what you should really be listening for. That, thank you for the tips, Oscar. That, wonderful. No, I can say that consciously and intentionally, that is not something I've done in the past, is listen for the breathing of the speaker. That's really powerful. Mm. And sometimes you'll notice vocal cords fry. For example, if I talk like this, as opposed to talking from my diaphragm, the constriction in the vocal cords could mean emotion. It could mean they're at risk. 
Uh, they mightn't feel safe in the conversation, but for a lot of people, while you're being distracted by mobile phones or you're noticing noise or you're in a coffee shop, um, you won't even notice that. I remember working with a client once and her body state changed. And by that, I'll explain that her, at one point in the conversation, I just said to her, I said, Sophie, what just happened for you? And what I actually noticed happened for her was her eyes and her head position on her body changed completely. Her shoulders went back and it was like, I don't know, just an energy state change for her. And I, I, I didn't say anything. And she goes, yeah, I didn't say anything to you, but I just had this flashback memory to something that happened when I was a teenager. And I'm not sure why it's coming into my conversation now. And, and I, again, I think the most effective thing you can do as a listener is just be silent and, and allow the other person to process it. And she says, wow, that's, that, that, wow, that memory, I, I've been pushing away for so long. And then you could see her eyes were welling up in tears. And she kind of held herself back from, from crying. And then the tears basically started to come down her cheek. And she goes, how did you even notice that? And I said, there was a shift in your whole energy. She goes, yeah, but nobody would notice that. And I think for a lot of us listening, we're too fixated on ourselves because we don't have the space and the processing capacity in our heads, in our hearts and in our guts to connect with another person like that. So, you know, if you're really listening deeply and you're available because you're listening to yourself, Gary, you're going to notice these state shifts in these people because you're completely present for them. It's, it's really interesting hearing you explain it because I think that energy part for me is very, very interesting because part of a, a, a recent Have Courage Summit that I, that I led, one of the common themes across the 23 speakers, Oscar, it kept coming back to energy. So whether someone was um, an international author, whether it's someone that was a, you know, productivity coach or someone that was a, you know, spiritualist, whatever, whatever their background, it all came back to energy. And I found that a really, really interesting thing. So I'd like to explore that a bit with you in terms of maybe, you know, that you're talking, you're speaking a little bit for me to the link between energy and listening, and how powerful that is. is. Is there anything else going on there between those two things that we can be more mindful of to, to be better listeners for you? Always for me, it's how can I hear what they're not saying? Because equally, if I'm speaking at 125 words a minute, you're listening at 400, I have 900 words a minute stuck in my head. So on average, a human can think it up to 900 words a minute, but they can only speak at 125 to 150. And if they're a race course, race course caller, they can speak at about 200 words a minute or an auctioneer. So they can speak up to that point. but kind of comp comprehension goes down really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. So imagine I've got 900 words stuck in my head and I'm absolutely stuck with a mouth that speaks only at 150 to 125 words a minute. That means that the first thing out of my mouth is very unlikely to be what I'm actually thinking about. And coming back to energy, um, their energy is blocked because they can't get everything out that they're thinking about. Now, I don't know about you, Gary, but I, I do the washing at home as in washing the clothes. And um, our washing machine has at least two rinse cycles. And for humans, their rinse cycle is when they speak. It's clearing out the mind and clearing out what's in their head. And yet for most of us, we won't do a second rinse cycle. We won't ask for a second opinion. Uh, someone who's good at math told me one, 150 divided by 900 is about 11%. So there's an 11% chance that the first thing out of somebody's mouth is actually what they're thinking. And you can double that by simply asking them, what else? And a lot of people will use this coded language and listen out for these code words because you'll all be nodding while you're listening to this. They'll say words like, well, actually, what I meant to say was, or they'll say, you know what's really important that I haven't said? You know what's critical? 
thinking about it, what I should have said was, and all these code words come out because they're actually starting to connect with what they mean rather than what they're saying. Usually the first time around, unless you're a brilliant actor and have rehearsed your lines well and can articulate it beautifully, the likelihood the first thing you're going to say is what you're thinking, 11% chance. Um, I'm at an age, Gary, where I'm probably spending too much time seeing doctors and if a doctor gave me an 11% chance of surviving a surgery, I'd probably ask for a second opinion, right? But most of us don't ask for a second opinion. When we're listening to somebody, we just assume the first thing they say is what they actually mean. So the potency and the power of listening deeply is people will start to hear what they actually mean. And by the way, when I say and what else, it's not to help me, it's to help them. Your job as a listener is not for you to become informed, it's merely to help the speaker hear what they're saying for themselves. Because a lot of time they'll start to notice things and connections, whether that's energetic connections, whether it's linguistic connections, whether it's meaning, context or content connections will come about for you being there to do the rinse cycle on the washing machine so we can get the clear water out. That is such a beautiful analogy. I have to put out at this juncture, uh, Oscar, a thank you to Kevin Monroe for connecting us today because he yeah. knew we'd have a great conversation. And uh, yeah, let, let me tell you, it really is. So thank you. Thank you, Kevin. And uh, thank you, Oscar. Um, yeah, g'day, Kevin. Hat tip to you. <laughs> this because what's really nice in what you've explained the last five minutes for me is you've really taken us up and down those five yeah. different levels um, of listening. Can you maybe speak a little bit to the meaning part um, of listening? So you've got that as level five. You yeah. know, do people miss meaning on between levels one and four, or is it just there's a more clarity of meaning by going through those other those other levels? Most people aren't even conscious that they should be listening for meaning. Most people who speak don't even realize what that is what they're saying, what that actually mean, because you've got these 900 words trying to get out in there and they're stuck. I've, I've got a research database that's helping to inform that software development I'm talking about earlier on, where we said, hey, Siri, 1,410 people in that database. 86% of people are stuck at level one when it comes to listening. They're stuck in distraction. They're stuck with a lack of focus and they struggle with attention. For most people, they can't access meaning. And in a lot of the research lines that I saw, people couldn't even put meaning into the words that they were using to describe how they listened or how they would want others to listen to them as well. A lot of the frustration speakers talk about is people just not even having eye contact because they're on devices and things like that. But I'll give you a story about meaning. I might give you two, depends how much time we've got. The first story was uh, a workshop I was doing and it was a really tight boardroom and it was just before lunchtime and it was one of those boardrooms where the air conditioning just doesn't work really well. There was 12 people in the room and we've been going since 8.30 in the morning. It was a bit stuffy, it was a bit claustrophobic. And at this point, I'd done an exercise with the room and I just said, describe what the future looks like for this organization. They were, they were a technology company. Describe what the future looks like as an animal. You can pick something below the water, you can pick something below ground, something on the ground that might run, or you can pick something in the air or you can make up a creature. It can be myth mythological, doesn't have to be a real animal. And we went around the room, 11 people had literally said almost the identical bird of prey, whether it was an eagle or an osprey, it was fast, it was nimble, and it was a bird of prey. It would be able to go fast and capture. And, and it was, everybody kind of come up with the same analogy and the same animal. And there was one person who hadn't spoken and the leader in the room was giving me eyes to go, come on, can we wrap this up? Because I really want to eat and it's really stuffy in here. And I just turned to Elaine and I, she was the quiet one in the room and often not listened to because we don't take the time to listen to those who don't speak up. And I just turned to her with an invitation. I didn't actually say anything. I just put my hand out and looked at her and um, 
Have you ever been to those events, Kevin, by the way, where everybody goes, put your hand up if you're an extrovert and put your hand up if you're an introvert? <laughs> well, the introverts, if they're really introverts, will never put their hand up. And Elaine was in that card-carrying group of introverts. She didn't want to be noticed. But I just made an invitation with my eyes and I kind of tilted my head to the right. And she goes, well, I thought it was obvious, but everybody's different to me. And again, I, I just said, tell me more. She said, well, I thought we were a snake. And you could hear a pin drop in the room. The atmosphere changed in that moment. And what had happened was everybody's eyes were fixated on Elaine. Now, Gary, what's going through your mind when I say snake? What's going through my mind is devouring. <laughs> mm. Anything else? slippery not not mm. not transparent mm. those sorts of things yeah and i think for those listening they're probably doing the same thing and i said tell me more elaine and she said well it's obvious to me that for the last four years we've been a snake because we have to shed our skin every season and adapt to what the conditions are presented to us by our customers We've forgotten to shed our skin. If we could shed our skin and learn to manoeuvre more swiftly through the bushes, we'd go back to where we were before and the atmosphere again changed in the room. Now, that organisation from that moment decided to adopt the snake as a, as a creature for them and they included the shedding of the skin story in their sales presentations their product names became snake names and all of that. But that's what happens when you listen for meaning. I did an almost identical exercise in a sterile manufacturing plant. And I said to the room, there were 75 people in this room, um, turn to the person next to you, what movie is this organization going through right now? And when they came back, they were, they were all saying disaster movies, Die Hard with a Vengeance, uh, Towering Inferno, The Titanic. And the CEO was on my right just off stage and he came up and took the mic off me. I thought he was going to boot me off the stage. And he just said, thank you, Oscar. He says, you've been able to hear what this means to come to work every day. And I haven't been able to put my finger on it in six months. And he turned to the room and said, I hope you forgive me. I need help. And what they'd had was an issue that was blocking up the release of sterile product um, because there was a quality issue in one of the pipes. But in a very humble moment, that leader, hearing the meaning of the disaster movie, he didn't think it was from his perspective because no one was telling him what was going on. And in that moment, he asked for help. And it had taken six months to solve this problem and millions of dollars of stock was held up because it couldn't pass quality. And in three days, three days after that, they solved the problem because they all put their barriers down because they all wanted to help because the boss admitted he didn't know and he apologised to the room. But again, you've got to be listening for meaning and you've got to create permission slips for people, whether that's what book is this, um, you know, I've had a lot of people say, oh, my book's a bit like a Harry Potter movie, or some people say it's like Lord of the Rings. And then you ask them, so which character are you? And all of a sudden, you give them permission to step out of their body and their current conversation and start to describe something in a really dispassionate way. And again, it's not for you, it's for them. And then they'll make sense of the situation because they're making meaning of the situation rather than just a bunch of words that they're saying to you. Well, let me tell you, Oscar, my whole body energy is going through the roof right now as you described, really, those two stories because what I'm sensing, what I'm feeling is you've spoken about this 900 words, you know, in our head versus what we can physically mm -hmm. out. And I can yeah. really sense the power of those stories in able to actually extract exponentially more words from within us because we can, we can visualize it in a story and then mm. we can just go dump. Oh, I can explain that story in 125 words, but I couldn't speak it. And I can really yeah. feel that. I think it's really powerful. Mm. Yeah, and look, look for, a, for a lot of us, 
and a lot of things that I get challenged by is like, yeah, Oscar, this is all awesome, but I haven't got time to ask all those extra questions. And I and I always say that that's okay. Your project will take longer. Your relationships will be more damaged. Your costs will run over. You'll deliver something that your customers or whoever's using whatever you're releasing won't hit the mark. So you can go as fast as you want. Isn't it worth a bit of extra time just to ask for a second opinion and get the next 150 words out? Because your percentage goes up to just a quarter, but it's the likelihood that you're probably talking about the right 150 words that's going to transform your relationship with them, your relationship with everybody else they're working with. And whether that's you in a work setting or you in a home setting, these things become really powerful. I had the opportunity to speak to an expert in um, listening to children. And this is probably one of the most common things I get asked. I don't know about you, Gary. You know, How do I get my kids to listen? My teenagers aren't listening to me. My young child isn't listening to me. And I always joke with them. Uh, they're just following their role model. They're just following their listening teacher. And, and they don't, takes them a while, but eventually they realize that what they're role modeling in terms of listening um, is what the child is mirroring back to them. And if I could give you one tip, if you want to get your kids to listen better to you, is always crouch down and make sure your eyes are at the same level as your child. And if you FaceTime them and you're remote, do exactly the same thing because the very act of you moving your energy down to their eye level will bring you to a place and a space and an energy that they can relate to. So if you get a chance and you're watching any time a parent is disciplining a child, they'll always be standing over them. It's very rare for an enlightened parent to be looking at them straight in the eye when they do that. I'm so fascinated by not only your work, but yourself, Oscar, because I just, I really love this. I know, I know your purpose is about helping a hundred million people become, you know, deeper listeners, but you are fascinating in that you've, you know, you've run Microsoft in Australia. You know, you are a coach, you're a speaker, you've been in sales, yet here you are today to help, you know, helping my listeners and me better understand the importance of listening, you know, for those really hard, you know, those, those hard, hard assed excuse the language, salespeople that are really like, okay, I know I need to do more of this, but I just can't bring myself to do more listening. I just can't bring my own psyche to slow down. I, I'm in fear of maybe not being good enough or fear of not having all the answers. What would you say to those people? I'd say to them what I said on the um, Salesforce podcast that I was asked to be part of a couple of weeks ago. So they'd heard about me through our friend Kevin, funnily enough, from the US. And uh, if you're a salesperson who's struggling with a pipeline blocked in the middle, the reason you're stuck is because you're not listening to what's unsaid. You're listening to try and beat your competition rather than listening for the business case that a chief financial officer or a business owner would want to hear about. So for a lot of salespeople, what they're really good at is listening for code words that they can go, ah, there's a product feature that problem they just described solved. But in a lot of cases, um, you could be selling to the wrong person or you could have the wrong competition. We had a, a reseller I was working with in New Zealand, this would be about 15 years ago, and they were certain they'd won, they were the preferred vendor, they were in negotiations, it was the end of the financial year, and they were working through all this process to get a purchase order. And then something went wrong for two days. They didn't hear back from the procurement department and then they got a phone call. And the phone call from the procurement department went and said, look, you're still the preferred vendor. But Kimberly Clark, a company that's famous for children's diapers or nappies, depending on which part of the world you're listening in, uh, also manufactures toilet paper. And they'd made a deal with the CFO. If they bought a year's worth of toilet paper, Kimberly Clark would give them a 50% off deal. So this company that was selling technology and thought they'd won because they weren't listening for what finance cared about had lost a very significant deal. Well, they eventually won it. It was delayed for a period of about 12 months. They'd lost a toilet paper, even though they thought they'd beat the competition. 
So for those hard-ass salespeople out there, um, it's listening that will help you not only sell your value proposition into your customers, but it'll also help you sell your business case. Good salespeople listen to their customers and great salespeople listen to their customers' customers' problems and sell the business case against that. For a lot of salespeople, they just think they're selling against the competition, Gary. And as a salesperson working in a, let's call it a scarcity environment, it's, uh, yeah, it resonates an awful lot. That's a separate conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, as, as we look to wrap, honestly, I could talk to you all day, Oscar. It's beautiful. Um, Hey Gary, just think of money as energy and it'll change that mindset. Mm, that's got you thinking, hasn't it? So you've put a totally different meaning on money, haven't you? Uh, yeah, it, it certainly gave me a different angle to try and introduce listening as more of a, yeah, it's those more hard metric focused people let's say some of those older thinkers actually how do we actually reframe that that's that's beautiful very powerful mm. yeah listening's the fastest way to grow revenue for customers it's the fastest way to keep projects on track it's the fastest way to increase quality in an organization and uh, it's the best way to keep the talent you want and recruit the talent you haven't got as well this this really interesting because one of the things you spoke about in one of your fantastic examples was how vulnerable that leader was to stand mm. up and say, I need your help. Yeah. But it took that, it took you helping facilitate that opening of space and mind to go, oh, okay. Yeah. Now, do you feel that listening is an avenue? It sounds to me that it is, but maybe you know, is listening a helpful step towards maybe some of those more fear fear-based more afraid leaders that want to be more human centered but haven't been trained or don't know how to be more of their true self in the workplace is listening really a key catalyst for that hmm. i'm not sure mm -hmm. um when you use the term fear-based so i'm going to go and explore the other words in your head now to kind of do this real time mm -hmm. Help me understand a bit more. So when I'm speaking about that, if I think of my network and some people mm. that I work with indeed as well, there is quite a lot of fear around being vulnerable, about being afraid to say I don't know or to hold back from being more of their true self um, mm. for whatever reason. And what I feel and what I sense is that we're missing opportunities to collaborate and to accelerate the sales process or to to grab market share or to empower some people on the front line because they don't feel safe to challenge the status quo or to speak about the things that they see at their level of the organization. Hmm. Um, so that's what I'm talking about. There's almost, a, there's, there seems to be a, there's an air of fear. And again, it's something that people don't see. They don't necessarily see, but they sense it. Hmm. And when you sense it, what do you feel and what do you sense? So I feel responsible <laughs> to try and open that, that, that dialogue, but it's mm. not always easy because I believe I'm, a, I'm certainly learning that I can be a much better listener from our conversation today, but I find it difficult at times to try and be the bridge between what I can see is very clearly a huge opportunity for innovation and creation and um, you know, new product development, improved customer service at that level from the mm. people doing the work but trying to get senior leadership to be interested enough and vulnerable enough to not have the answer. Because if it comes from there, it doesn't seem to have the same weight as if it comes from their peers at the senior level. Mm. And if that was a movie, what's the movie you've got playing in your head right now? I love it. I love this real-time coaching, Oscar. You're giving a gift right now. Um, I just think the audience will learn faster from it this way. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm sensing, it's not a disaster movie, but I'm sensing something like Skyscraper or something where you know, there's, there's a big gulf between, you know, you've got people, at the, you've got the senior leaders at the top of the, the building, you've got the people at the bottom and somehow, yeah, there's, there's just this huge, there's a huge wall in between those two areas. It's like, it's literally mm. two floors. There's a top floor and there's a bottom yep. floor and there's a huge elevator. But the elevator yep. at the back, 
for the senior leaders to go up and down to their floor, but the people yeah. at the bottom can't, can't use it. And what's your role? Still working that out real time. It's a good point. I think my, my role is to be the, uh, the bellboy, I think. What could be another role? You've got me thinking. I need, I need to take that on. I need to think about that. Mm. See, part of my challenge, and you're probably hearing it, and I think the whole world is hearing it, is I'm still trying to move myself away from trying to fix things when it isn't my job to fix because nobody's broken. So part of the issue is me in this as well. So, in fact, most of it's probably me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, 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 it's how, how do I help those voices be heard better and be a conduit for that? And I don't know exactly what the answer is yet, Oscar. Hmm. To be continued. I think one of the explorations for you is to go, what's a productive role? Because help, help, help implies something. Hmm. You know, I'm not sure they need help. No. I think they're all adults. Um, one of the things I do very much differently in the way I create that space and state that you were talking about earlier is I'm just using the assumption that people just need a space and a place to solve the problem themselves. The, pro the mind with the problem is the mind with the solution. It's just my job to curate a space and a place where they can discover it through listening. And as you've just discovered, um, although you thought it was an issue with senior executives, maybe there's some exploration you need to think about yourself as your own role in that. And how, how do you move to a place and a space that's productive and effective for that system that you're reflecting on, uh, rather than a, help, a helping place? Um, maybe the most helpful thing you can do is go to their competition, or maybe the most helpful thing is go into a completely different industry uh, for for a lot of people in support roles in organizations human resources finance risk management quality all of they suffer similarly gary where they're trying to help as opposed to having an adult conversation uh, one one of the opportunities we don't kind of explore fully is most people are emotionally stuck in their high school days they never actually have developed past that and they bring a lot of high school issues into the workplace. Uh, and we aren't always dealing with fully developed adults either. And that's true for the guys at the top of that building that you were describing, as well as all the others in the room. But if you just allow them the space to explore the fact that they, they can solve it and they are adults, I think um, helping is probably something you need to discover what that means for you first before you can understand what it means for them. Because it's back to, if I look at the five levels model, it's we've always got to start with ourselves. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And you know something, this is my vulnerability now, because I didn't think we were going there, Oscar. So that's beautiful. Thank you for doing it. Is It's really fascinating. I'm conscious of your time, but it's really interesting for me in that, you know, my passion and the reason this whole podcast exists, and I'm grateful you've joined it today, is for me to listen back to myself and to mm. and listen to others like yourself. Mm. But the interesting thing is my organization where I work full time, probably one out of 2,700 people will be listening to this podcast. So it's very much, so I see myself very much doing, I've got a belief exactly in what you're doing. And I know that my service to the world is through helping other people listen and to create that space, the safety, etc but I don't necessarily feel that I am able to do it within the system that I'm in, like I'm able to do it now on the podcast or outside of the system. So I'm being very public in my display of, yeah, there's definitely some further work there to be clarified there, which is really interesting. 
Really We've really. all got further work to do, buddy. But here's, a, here's an interesting <laughs> distinction for you to think about. Um, service versus servant. Hmm. A servant helps. Somebody who's in service is walking alongside somebody. Somebody who's a servant kind of bends down and bows down in front of somebody. Hmm. Um, but somebody who's in service, I always think of the Sherpas who guide through the Himalayas or the Himalayas, depending on which part of the world you're in. Um, they're always side by side. They're in service, but they're not servants. In fact, they're a very proud warrior nation and service. Uh, sorry, being servants would be the last thing they think about um, as they help people kind of summit um, Everest or K2 or any of the other mountains in, in that region. But for a lot of people, again, who are helpers, they confuse service with being a servant. And uh, I think playing with that distinction for you will be an interesting exploration. Coming back to the movie character. Because the bellboy, is he a servant or is he in service? To be continued, as you say, I think I'm not going to make any rash. To, yeah, we, we need to speak again for sure. This no, 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 because I think a really great bellboy slash concierge is always in uh, service, yes. not a servant. Um, and even if you think of the, the Queen's butler as an example, I, I think that would be a strong example of somebody who's in service, not a servant. Very powerful distinction. Well, I think we've come up to a brilliant point in our conversation, Oscar. So you have a new book coming out, I believe, soon. Um, Breakthroughs, yeah. How to Confront Assumptions. What a beautiful segue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, how, no, that's, that, that's the first book. Breakthroughs, oh, how, how to Confront Your Assumptions. That, that one's done and dusted about three years ago. The deep listening one's out. And now I'm working on the 125-400 rule, the art and science of listening, where I start to deconstruct all the things we've just talked about in much more detail in a very accessible book um, that people can use. But it sounds like you had fun with the playing cards that you got as well with the book. That was super generous of you. And I have to say, yeah, people need to go out and look at these. It was just so accessible. And I think it sounds silly, doesn't it? We're talking about our innate human abilities to say, yeah. <laughs> you know, those cards are helpful and accessible. But I think as we're showing live with our conversation today, you know, we are in the moment human beings, you know, and li literally yesterday I might have thought I was an amazing listener. And today on this conversation, I'm sitting here going, wow, I genuinely think I'm a pretty good listener. My God, I'm stuck at one and two right now. So it's brilliant cards. Your work is incredible, Oscar, really. And I'm so grateful to Kevin for connecting us because if people, are, I hope people are listening and really hearing and really internalizing what you've shared with us, because look, if anyone needs a business case, for being more human. I think you've sold it today <laughs> in the most beautiful way, really. Well, thanks for listening. Really, really, really do appreciate it. So what's the best way for people to, to contact you if they would do want to follow up on the conversation or, or find out more about your work, Oscar? OscarTrimboli.com. There's only one of me. So um, if you punch that into Google, you'll find me or if you just type OscarTrimboli.com. Um, that'll help you access the books, the playing cards, the jigsaw puzzles, the podcasts, and all the other stuff that uh, we're doing in terms of the survey and research work that we're doing as well. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, it's uh, welcome to the tribe of creating 100 million deep listeners in the world. Wonderful. Well, look, I'm, I'm very grateful to be part of it. I'm a, a little bit dumbstruck that I didn't expect a, co a live coaching session, but it's been fun, exciting. So I'm looking forward to listening back in my own time and uh, seeing where this goes, Oscar. Thanks again for listening. Appreciate your time. Take care. Hi there, just Gary Turner, your podcast host, wrapping up this fantastic conversation with Oscar Trimboli. I wonder what your thinking is, what your thoughts are following that live coaching session that Oscar offered uh, to myself. As I said in my opening notes, I'm still, uh, still reflecting on all of that. Um, but some of the other key takeaways I wanted to share with you is I was really interested in this 125-400 rule uh, where he speaks about, uh, we speak at 125 words per minute, but we listen at 400. So that what happens to these other 300 words? I think there's something really powerful about just 
understanding that point that quite often the first thing out of our mouth is very unlikely to be the thing that you're actually thinking about. You know, there's only an 11% chance of that. And by asking what else can help double that, uh, that chance of it being the right thing. This reminds me of the work of Nancy Klein and her thinking environments. There's some, something that resonates with me around Oscar's work and something uh, around Nancy Klein's work as well. I also enjoyed uh, learning about the five levels of listening um, that Oscar has worked on particularly on this idea of trying to hear what people are not actually saying, so reading between or listening between the lines. Um, you know, the fact that humans rinse cycle ultimately is when they speak, but so often we don't ask for a second opinion. And, and this really landed with me because rarely do I ask what else if I'm seeking feedback or having a conversation. It's not so often that I ask, is there anything else um, in a conversation? I think it's a really, really powerful um, message there. It's, you know, we tend to do it within coaching conversations where it's almost expected, but in regular conversations, uh, I, I certainly don't tend to. In terms of the, the live coaching session, I think it's really interesting. And the, the reason that I'm still quite flawed to be very open with you, the listener, is that I'm still processing this service versus servant um, comparison that Oscar really woke me up to during this live coaching session. You know, I do talk about helping a lot and I, it comes from a good place of my heart. But I am definitely subservient, I believe, in some of those interactions. You know, I'm not looking to try and not just assert myself, but be the, that strategic um, aligned partner that's at their side. I tend to be a little bit more being very open and vulnerable. The person that's in the background, delivering the solution, giving the support and the guidance and intentionally staying out of the limelight in the nicest possible way. Um, so really, really interesting. So I've still got a lot to process with that. And I think what the last thing I'd like to do is just remind you of those three tips uh, that Oscar shared uh, in order to be able to think and, and to listen much, much more effectively, much more deeply. So the first one was to get rid of all electronic devices in front of you. The next was, to, this was really helpful for me, was always have a glass of water a hydrated brain is a listening brain and then also connect with your breathing this is also really powerful for me personally the deeper you breathe the deeper you listen so i'd really like to know if any of this resonated with you i hope that it did and uh yeah i hope that you enjoyed it as always welcome any feedback by any, any medium that's helpful for you ideally some rating on the itunes podcast app if you enjoyed this would be helpful and in the meantime, we look forward to welcoming you back to the Value Through Vulnerability podcast, the podcast dedicated to bringing the human back into humanity on episode 54. All the best for now and have a great day wherever you are.